Great. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be able to worship together. If I haven't uh, met you before, my name's Andy. I'm one of the ministers here in the church, and it's my privilege uh, to carry on our series. We've been doing a series looking at confidence on the front line leading up to Easter. And today we're thinking about competence. Have you ever felt totally out of your depth, lost, incompetent even in a situation When I was uh, about 16 to 18, I worked in Waitrose on the meat and fish counter. And I used to enjoy working uh, working there and walking past the bread counter where you'd smell the fresh bread. Sometimes you might even pick up a whole loaf of fresh bread for 20p at the end of the day, or even a Belgian bun that's reduced. Uh, But one day, uh, no one turned up at the bread counter and we had plenty of people uh, on the meat and fish counter. And so I was asked to go and help on the bread counter. The manager quickly showed me how to press a few buttons and there's the bread slicing machine. If anyone needs some, have a go didn't have a clue what I was doing. And there was a queue already waiting. And I come to the first gentleman, uh, what would you like, sir? How can I help you? Can I have a slice of bread, please? A, a slice of bread? You'd like a slice of bread? Yes. Okay, so I go away, try and figure out how to use the bread slicing machine, take much longer than the normal person, and come back with a slice of bread. And when I received not only his look, but the look of everyone else behind him. I just wanted to like hide and, and run away. I was completely incompetent. I just, I just wanted to hide. Well, perhaps you found yourself in a situation before, not when you've tried to serve a slice of bread, but when you were asked about your faith and you had a similar response, you just wanted to kind of duck away and hide. You didn't know what to say or how to say it. It's been so good to worship together and remind ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus. And it's a hope like the bag of sweets that Calvin began with that is worth sharing. Maybe you can connect with this idea of not always feeling competent about how to do that. Maybe you find yourself in a situation on your own front line and someone asks you a bit about your faith. Oh, you read read the Bible? How does that help you? What about all those bits that appear that God's involved in genocide? Oh, you're talking about Easter being helpful to you. Well, how does something 2,000 years ago affect you? Or perhaps in conversation, things come up and you think, actually, my faith has got something to say about that. The subject could be immigration, the value of human life, climate change, having purpose in life, the importance of freedom of speech, or why Xmas should really be called Christmas. When things come up, we don't always feel competent. In a moment, I'm going to read from God's word where Peter encourages us always to be prepared. Alan, catch. We have just done our first joining in course. Are we on? Oh, yeah, thank you. It was a user error rather than Cherry's error there. Uh, We have uh, just done our first uh, joining in course here at CBC, a new course to help people connect and belong at CBC, whether you're new here or been here for years, and we find it helpful to find out more about the life of the church. And one of the things that we have done is uh, we've explored a bit more about what membership means and what it means to be Baptists. You may or may not know uh, that as Baptists, we have a declaration of principle. 
which is made up of three different clauses and was put together in 1873 to help identify some of the key things that unites Baptists. Now, the first clause is about Jesus' authority. The second one is about baptism. And the third one is about mission. And the one about mission says this, that it is the duty of every disciple to bear personal witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. It's only a duty, but it's a joy and a privilege. A witness is someone who has heard or seen something or felt something and been able to give an account of what they have witnessed. Jesus called his followers before he ascended back to heaven to be his witnesses in Acts 1 verse 8 in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I've recently found it helpful reading a report uh, called the Talking Jesus Report. It was put together by the Evangelical Alliance and a few other Christian organizations to explore how we as Christians are getting on with sharing our faith. One of the questions they asked a large sample of Christians is, do you agree or, or disagree or not sure with this statement? It's every Christian's responsibility to talk to non-Christians about Jesus Christ. And 75% agreed with this. But if you see the next question, 52% thought there were probably others that were better at doing it than them. I.e., they felt like they lacked competence in this area of sharing faith. I wonder if you can relate. If witnessing about Jesus is all of our, not only joy, and not only duty, but joy and privilege, what I want to say today then is we want to grow in confidence on our front lines, then it's helpful to be prepared so that we feel more competent. We need God's equipping and his help. And we can do that by trying our part to be prepared. Alan, catch. Our reading is from uh, 1 Peter 3. Uh, You can follow along with me on the screen. You can also turn to a Bible in front of you. Just two verses I want to share and help us as we think about being competent as those who share the gospel. This is what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter was speaking to Christians who were in a culture that was largely hostile to the church and the message of the gospel. They'd been through a difficult time, the believers in Jesus, having suffered grief of all kinds of trial, Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 tells us. And throughout this letter, Peter urges the believers to do two things. Firstly, to put their hope fully in the gospel, remembering where their hope truly lies. And secondly, to live lives that were set apart, that were, were godly and holy. And in verse 15, he urges them to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that they have. A hope that he describes as a living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus, a hope that's eternal and that cannot be destroyed. This hope is not only based on Jesus, it is Jesus Christ. As Gavin Calver reminded us when he was with us a few weeks ago, we have a hope, he has a name, and his name is Jesus. 
Now, through the believer's suffering, they could be reminded of their and our great hope in God's grace and power and of the bigger picture, God's great plan to redeem them and us in Christ. And so as God's people sought and continue to seek to live lives that are rooted in Jesus and seeking to live a set-apart life, Peter expects such lives to provoke questions that require an answer. That's why he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me point out two things before I highlight four things that are a bit more practical. Two things just to point out. Firstly, Peter assumes curiosity. Peter assumes that when we, believers in Jesus, live lives of devotion to Christ, people will take notice and often ask questions and be interested. Peter instructs the believers to revere Christ in your hearts. And in Greek, where we have a full stop, there is no full stop. It's one continuous sentence. So put your in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer. It's one thing that goes together. The fruit of devotion to Jesus in our hearts, lived out consistently by God's grace, walking the way of Jesus, is witness to Jesus. When we live lives of devotion to Jesus, it can provoke questions of curiosity and enable opportunities for us to give the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. That's not to say that that's always the case. And that's not to say that we can't also proactively look for opportunities ourselves to share as well. And the interest that Peter and the early believers were getting was very often not always positive. It was people that had a problem with the way they were living and the things that they were teaching. My experience has often been that people are intrigued, that they are curious to know more about the hope that we have. I do a lot of my work with young people, and I can say that this curiosity is alive and well. It's alive and well among our children as well. I uh, touched base with some of our searchers team this week who run a group regularly for years three, four, and five. And one of the things they do each week is they take one of the children's questions and help unpack it. Here's some of the things that they were curious about recently. Who created God? Why did God create the world so beautifully? How was Jesus, how long was Jesus around for? What were the questions that Jesus asked? What did he do? There was curiosity there. I can say there's curiosity among many of our young people as we unpack and look at all sorts of different things to do with the hope that we have in Jesus. It's been a privilege to go into several primary schools the last few weeks to help look at some specific questions they were looking at, whether that was to do with how our hope in Jesus affects how we serve others or why Good Friday is good or how Christians practice forgiveness and how that works. There is a level of curiosity that is so good to see. Now, as I've attempted to try and have a go at some of these questions, I've tried to tell the Christian story. And as I have, it's produced more questions. There often are more questions. Peter assumes a curiosity here. And I think we could say as well, that's not just for children and young people. You may have come across times when people have been intrigued about why you live a certain way, what you were doing at the weekend, why you said you were praying about something. Peter assumes a level of curiosity. 
as we seek to live lives that trust in Jesus and live a different way. That's the first thing. And the second thing I want to mention is that Peter says, be prepared. Peter's teaching here is to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, the hope that we have sung about. The word Peter uses for answer is where we get our word apology. But it wasn't only used for a sense of regret when we do something wrong, but also for a defense that was given in a courtroom. Now, for some of the early believers, like Peter, who were imprisoned at various points, this was literally defending himself of what he'd said and done and why he'd said and done it in a courtroom-type situation. Paul claimed his own rights to do this in Acts 25, and Jesus promised his disciples that the Holy Spirit would equip them in such situations to help speak for them. And it's from this word, answer, where we get our word apologetics, a particular field of defense and reasoning for the Christian faith. Now, I've had the privilege to do quite a bit of study in recent years, and it's been so good to dive in to the reason and the evidence and the logic of so much of what we believe, of the hope behind what we believe as Christians. And Peter says to the believers he's writing to, be prepared, always, says Peter. You never know when an opportunity might come, just like you never know when someone might throw you a ball. Catch. This week's uh, devotional note, some of you might have been joining in our devotional readings. And uh, when talking about this passage, uh, it said this. We can sometimes fall into a trap of thinking of being prepared as a reluctant willingness to play our part. We think if I really must or if someone else isn't available. Peter's challenge in 1 Peter 3.15 is much more positive. To be prepared here implies standing by or being ready, wanting and willing, having made the necessary preparations. A bit like when I've been preparing to throw a ball to Alan. He has been ready. He hasn't just been hoping, please don't throw me the ball. He has been ready on standby and willing to receive it. And so far, he's had a four out of four go, five out of five. Very good, Alan. You've done a great job. <laughs> You've done a great job. But how does Peter say to be prepared? I think there's some practical things we can pick up on in these verses that help us think about how we can be prepared. So we don't need to hide behind a bread counter or hope someone won't throw me a ball. But actually, what can we do to help us be prepared that when opportunities come to give the reason for our hope that we have? So let me point out a few things. Uh, two are more to do with what we say, and two are more to do with the way that we are and the way that we say them. So firstly, he says, be reasonable. The hope we have in Jesus is based not just on feeling and experience, though I'm not discounting them, but on logic and reason and evidence. Let's take, for example, the question that I was asked at school the other day about why Good Friday is good. There is a whole story in the scriptures that tells us the wonderful story of Good Friday. It, it tells us that when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple that symbolized the separation that God had from humanity because of our sin was torn in two. There is evidence, there is story, there is logic there. And so we tell the story with reasonableness, with logic. There is logic of why a holy, pure God cannot be close to those who are not like him. There is logic why there must be some consequences to that. 
Naturally, as I tried to tell this story, this led to many other questions. We can be prepared to share our faith with reason. In 2 Timothy, says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God's word itself helps equip us as we try and share the hope that we have. The wonderful big story of the Bible helps us, it equips us for every good work, including the good work of sharing the hope that we have when opportunities arise. I want to say this year I've felt better equipped with some of these questions that I've been uh, addressing with primary school kids and in other contexts as well because I've been enjoying reading Luke's gospel. It's kind of live for me. I've um, got chapter 24 to go, but I've been enjoying the Easter story and it's equipped me. It's helped me. It's alive for me. And last week we were thinking about how consistency and consistent habits can help equip us to be confident on the front line. And through consistent habits, as we immerse ourselves in God's story, we can be equipped for every good work. We can feel more confident about sharing the hope that we have. We can also be equipped from many other resources that support and unpack the story of the Bible. I wonder if you can think of a particular book or a talk or a conversation or a course that's really helped you in your confidence in the gospel that you've found helpful. Uh, we like to try and provide us as a church family with things that could be helpful. Hopefully some of our teaching and worship times are helpful in equipping us. Uh, here's a little resource that we've bought this year. Um, it is called, Is Easter Unbelievable? It's a short little book that unpacks four questions that could help you and they could help people that you might have the opportunity to share about your hope with as well. They answer the questions, is Jesus' life historical? Is Jesus' death ethical? Is Jesus' resurrection credible? And is Jesus' offer desirable? It's not long, it's readable, it's accessible. It could be helpful for you. It could be something that you might want to think, oh, someone was asking, oh, I'm going to pray for an opportunity. Maybe I'll put one of these in my pocket to have ready. It's going to answer in a more clear way, maybe than I could on my own. Uh, we bought 100. Uh, they're about a pound each. You can take them for free, or if you want to donate a pound towards that, you can do that. This could be one of many helpful resources that help us as we seek to share our faith with reason and with evidence as well. While we're talking about sharing with reasonableness, let me just acknowledge that there are, and there will always be, some questions that we find hard that we don't have the answer to. And that is okay. It might be that you're new to faith and you feel like there are many questions you don't have the answers to. That is okay. It might be that you have been following Jesus for years and there's still quite a few questions that you find hard to answer. That is okay. And as we are to be reasonable, it is okay to just say, I don't know the answer to that or let me find out or why don't you ask Roger, a phrase we often use. <laughs> <laughs> or someone else that you know, another helpful resource that you can point people to. It is okay to do that. We don't have to be fully confident in every answer before we try and have a go with the help of the Holy Spirit about sharing the hope that we have. So first thing is be reasonable. The second thing is be personal. The Talk Jesus research that I mentioned earlier shows that the two things that were most remembered by non-Christians in conversations with Christians about their faith were... 
a personal story from the person they were talking to and someone who wanted to hear what they believed as well. They were the two things that were most memorable to those whom had heard about the Christian faith from a friend. Sometimes people say to me, but my story, my story's boring. No one one would want to know that. It's not true. If God's been at work in your life, if you've found a hope that we sing sometimes is greater than life itself, then your personal story is interesting. It will, not always, but it will often interest others. Don't belittle our own story. God's been at work in our lives. And personal story is a great way of connecting with people. I want to say um, that many of us will be listening to this and thinking, this isn't really for me. I'm not sure about that, you know, it being everyone's responsibility. I'm definitely in the 52% that think it's someone else's. Um, just with many skills, we can practice. I remember uh, a number of years ago, uh, we were starting something in another church I was involved in uh, called Messy Church, and we hadn't really done it before. And uh, Lindsay and myself were were helping prepare for one session, and we hadn't hadn't done it. So we lined up a whole load of teddies uh, on our bed, and uh, we did the first presentation bit. It included a bit of personal story to the teddies. And, uh, you know, we felt a bit silly, but it was actually helpful. And it is okay to just practice outside of the moment, just as you might practice another hobby that you're doing or a skill that you're learning. It is okay and helpful to practice. I wonder what the right setting might be for you. It might be with a teddy on the bed. It might be with a friend or a family member. It might be in your small group. Um, I thought these questions might be helpful. You're welcome to take a picture if you think practicing could be helpful. You're in a situation and someone asks a question like, why is Easter important to you? Um, well, why are you a follower of Jesus? When did that happen? Why do you trust the Bible? You say you have a relationship with God? Tell me about that. How would you answer that? It's actually okay and helpful to practice that on your own with a friend, with a family member, or maybe a little bit more proactively. How would, how would you include these kind of phrases as a way to see if there's a curiosity there, okay, with, among your friends or your colleagues on your front line? Um, I love Easter because, or I was praying recently and there's a positive story to share, or my faith helps me because I experience God's love and care when. It's helpful, I have found, to practice outside of the moment. We learn by doing in so many ways, don't we? Whether it's on a skateboard or riding a bike or learning a new language, we learn by having a go, by practicing. It takes time and practice. We learn by doing, and this is the same This is also true when we're thinking about how we share our faith with reason and we share it personally. Let me encourage you to have a practice sometime so you might feel more competent when the opportunities come. Alan, catch. The manner in which we share our faith is also hugely important to Peter. He says to share with gentleness and respect. You could say his approach was to be calm and kind. As we share, we're called to witness and respond calmly and kindly. This would have been a challenge for the early believers when some of them had been arrested or even lost their lives. And sometimes it can feel that people are just trying to get at us. I don't know if you've had a situation where it feels like people are just intentionally being hostile as you have shared a little bit of your faith. Even in Peter's context, he says that we should respond with gentleness. 
There is, of course, wisdom needed about when to engage and when it might be unhelpful to engage. But nevertheless, he says, engage with gentleness. When we look at the life of Jesus, he showed gentleness and kindness to those he shared with, especially those who he sensed were curious. Think of how he valued and saw worth in the woman at the well who had a complicated and far from respectful sexual past. Or think of deceitful and disloyal Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Yes, there were times when Jesus was more direct and maybe not so gentle, particularly with the religious leaders. But Peter is teaching here that gentleness was key. In verse 16, he makes it clear that some were speaking badly of the believers so that their manner and behavior was so important to Peter to protect them from having all sorts of slander and rumors against them. Jesus, when he ministered on earth, he not only brought a message, but he was that message. And we too don't just share words about hope that we have in Jesus, but we can embody the message of Jesus by our manner, one that shows gentleness, calmness, kindness. We went bowling as a youth group recently. It was good fun. Uh, for those that were interested, Rob Munns was the highest scoring leader. Congratulations to Rob. Uh, but it was great just to hang around. And when you take a youth group out and you wear these t-shirts that say things like, not to be served, but to serve, people notice you. Ended up having a conversation with one of the staff after everyone had gone and just finding out a bit of her story. She was interested in what we were doing. Tried to be gentle and to listen well. And having heard the situation she was in, I said, can I take a moment to pray with you? And she said, yes, there was some curiosity, tried to practice gen uh, gentleness, and an opportunity opened up. I'm learning in this way as well. Peter teaches us to be calm and kind. He also teaches us to be respectful. Did you know it's possible to be clear and challenging while still being respectful? You may have come across situations when Christians haven't always done this, but we can learn to be respectful. We can share about our hope with reasonableness, equipped by God's word and other helpful resources, the help of the Holy Spirit, and we can do that with respect. I've been trying to learn to grow in this. And it's something, like I said, that's opened up many opportunities. I've tried to be gentle and calm and kind in both listening and sharing about Jesus. Part of being respectful is wanting to hear what others have to say, as well as diving in just with what we think as well. Listening with kindness and care, gentleness and respect. I'm not sure about you, but sometimes um, when you hear talks about you know, being more competent about sharing our faith, or even about sharing our faith. Um, it can stir up in us feelings of kind of guilt. I'm not really doing that. Yes, I am the one hiding behind the bread counter somewhere. That's not the aim of this talk. That's not the aim of this series. We're recognizing that all of us need God's help to grow in confidence, confidence in the gospel, confidence on the front line, confidence in the opportunities that will come our way. So I want to leave you with a couple of questions that I encourage you to take some time to think about, to pray about. And they are these. How can we grow in competence? Just as when you learn to ride a skateboard, you need to do certain things that help you practice that, get better at that. Same with a bike or a new language. What can you do that's going to help you 
to feel more competent when opportunities come to share about your faith? And what's going to help us prepare well? Similar question, really, for these opportunities. What practical things could do? Maybe it is the practice thing. Maybe, maybe you think, actually, it would be helpful to read something or to talk to someone else. And let's not forget, we're not doing this in our own strength. God, by his spirit, is on a mission, drawing more people to him. Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. And we, as his people, have the joy and privilege, as well as our declaration that says duty, to join in with what he is doing. Alan, catch. Seven out of seven, very good. Round of applause for Alan, please. I want to be better prepared, not just to serve sliced bread or catch a ball, but to share about the bread of life himself, Jesus Christ. May God help us to grow in competence so that we might be more confident to share about our hope in Jesus, the one who died that we might be forgiven and rose again that we might have eternal life. Amen.